Hey everyone, Tim here, host of the Invisible Condition podcast, where we talk about unusually normal things. The thing we talk about today are strokes. Now you might associate strokes with middle-aged people, older people, but do you associate strokes with younger people? My guest today was in university when he had a stroke. Healthy guy, active guy, woke up one morning, just wasn't feeling right. He asked his friends if he seemed off, if he seemed different, and they all said, no, probably just tired because we've been up late studying for exams, but he just knew something was wrong. Even the ambulance attendants thought he was just trying to get out of an exam. Nitai's life completely changed. He now lives with the lasting impact of having a stroke, but he hasn't let that slow him down. We talk about how he now manages his life, and that is a life full of gratitude. And we even get into some of the the tools that he uses in his life. So in this episode, I know that you won't just be inspired, but there's actionable takeaways. For me, it's just remembering every day and every evening what I'm grateful for. So as always, if you listen to this episode and you have questions, comments, if you just want to share your story but don't know how, please reach out to me at invisiblecondition.com and I reply to every single email that comes in. So with that, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Nitai, I'm so excited to record with you today. Awesome to see you, Tim. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have the, the conversation. Yeah, we've, we go back uh, a little bit, a couple of years. I, I met you at UBC. I was invited to come in and speak into one of your classes. And uh, we just developed a friendship from there. And so I'm excited to share your story and for you to share your story and your journey living with invisible condition. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, what I find fascinating about your story is, well, you your resilience, your, your mental shift in life, your outlook on life. Uh, you had a stroke when you were going to university. And uh, I know the story, but our listeners don't. So why don't you share a little bit about what happened? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was about 18 in my first year of university, um, one day I just woke up with numbness and tingling in my arm and face. Didn't really think too much about it. Um, I thought I my arm had just fallen asleep or something like that, but then kind of moving out through, throughout the day, uh, started to get more symptoms and my symptoms were getting worse. I was actually studying for a chemistry exam um, and I was writing these practice exams and eventually I couldn't even hold the pen anymore. And in the meantime, like, all of the sensations were just getting like stronger, like the numbness and tingling in my arm and face. And I'd, I'd talked to like one of my friends. I was like asking her like, Hey, like, you know, all these things are going on. Like, do you, like, what do you think's happening? And I had the exam with her as well. So we were, we were planning on studying together in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then she was like, Oh, like, I'm sure it's nothing. Maybe it's just like carpal tunnel syndrome or something. And I was like, okay, like this. All right. Um, so I was like, okay, I can't, can't write anyways. Why don't I just take a break? So I go to the cafeteria. I try to 
um, you know, grab a tray and put stuff on it. And I'm like, this, th- this is not going to work. Like, I can't even hold the tray at all. Um, so I was like, okay, let me, let me see what I can do. So I, I go back to my uh, dorm room, which is like, I'm, I'm on the, the cafeteria is on the second floor. So I have to walk down then super long haul all the way to my dorm room. And then um, along the way, I'm like walking down the stairs and every time I, I'm taking a step, I'm, I feel like I'm missing a step, like my balance is off. So it's like my coordination is off right now. My, my hand is, is feeling weird. Um, and I have an exam still in, in the afternoon. And then eventually I get to my room. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to call my dad, uh, who's a doctor, because I was like, he'll probably know what to do. Um, call him about four times and no answer, because obviously he was probably working in the hospital. Um, then I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what should I do? So I go down a floor to see my friend who's really smart. I'm like, I'm sure he'd know what to do. Also had the exam with him. We were going to go to the library to meet my other friend. Knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Eventually he opens the door. And the first thing I ask him, no joke, is what are the symptoms of a stroke? And then as I'm saying that, I notice my speech is slurring a bit. And then he had just woken up, I guess. So he was still kind of like, not not fully there, you know? Um, and he was like, oh, like, I'm sure it's nothing. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, let's let's just go to the library and like, like uh, get ready for the exam. And I was like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, there's already like two people that, like I'm telling them what's happening and they're like, oh, like you're fine. And then... We're, we're walking to the library and, and while I'm on the way, like walking there, I still like, I feel like I'm really like walking, like walking with a limp. And like, again, I, I, I asked my friend one more time, like, are you sure I'm fine? He's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm sure everything's fine. And then right, right before, like, honestly, sometimes I feel like life, just like everything happens for a reason right before, um, I get into the library. I get a phone call from my dad. He's like, okay, I saw you that you called me four times. You never called me. <laughs> What's going on? I tell him all the symptoms and whatever. He's like, stop what you're doing. Go to the hospital. Uh, eventually, the ambulance comes. And I, I, I show up. Like, I walk rock up to the ambulance. And they're kind of like, oh, like, are you the person that, that called? Are you sure? you think we should maybe take you to the UBC hospital. And I'm like, no, no, no. My dad told me to go all the way to VGH. Like I need to like see a doctor. Um, and then even like on the way to the hospital, like in the ambulance, uh, they were doing all these tests on me. And I guess like something seemed fun. Something, something seemed a little bit off. Uh, but like the paramedic literally asked me, you know, are you, are you trying to get out of an exam or something? And, and like, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, I have an exam today. Like, am I like, am I going crazy or something? Am I trying to like subconsciously get myself out of this? Um, but I was like, no, like, like seriously, like, what do you think? Uh, what do you think is wrong? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And then finally get to the hospital, get wheeled in in a wheelchair. And um, the doctor sees me like right away, you know, does some assessments on me. I think I said like the wrong birthday because I was like so disoriented. And then 
as I was like walking up and down, he's like, yeah, yeah, something's wrong with him. Uh, let's take him to a CT scan. Eventually, we found out that I, ha- I had a left thalamic brain hemorrhage, which is basically a hemorrhagic stroke, like a brain bleed. And um, in a way that was comforting because I was like, okay, something was actually wrong with me. I wasn't just like, nothing was in my head, you know? Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like, a nice summary of like <laughs> of my story and kind of what 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 went down. Wow! And throughout that, you know, I've met so many people who live with something that's invisible, mm-hmm. and you were living something that was truly invisible, but you knew something was going on, yet it wasn't diagnosed. Mm. And you're asking your friends, your your and even the ambulance attendant is going well, i don't know if there's really anything wrong with this guy he's probably just trying to skip out of skip out of school <laughs> so physically you you must have looked fine or relatively fine mm-hmm. but inside you were you're not mm-hmm. how did you how did you reconcile that or maybe in the moment you you didn't you couldn't reconcile it but afterwards you know what was going through your mind yeah it's it's interesting because i think things were happening so fast that I didn't really have any time to process that like people, you know, like this kind of thing that was going on where like something was wrong with me and people weren't believing me. Like, I think in some ways, like in the ambulance, I was kind of like, oh, like what, what is going on? But I didn't, I didn't have that much time to process it. I think after, um, in the hospital and everything, like, because we were getting tests and like, Mm -hmm. there was clear indication that like, um, okay, so there are some things that were wrong with me. Like there was a CT scan. They saw the, the brain hemorrhage. They, they, like, they, they saw the like specific area that was affected. So I think in a lot of ways that was helpful for me. I think the bigger challenge was when I, after I was rehabbing and you know, I went back to like social settings because I think when you're in the hospital, there is that piece of like people understand the condition like Mm -hmm. you're speaking to neurologists you're speaking to specialists that like know exactly what's going on but when i'm going back to social settings and like i'm going to a party and i look on the outside normal and i'm talking to people they don't it's hard for them to comprehend and i think i had more challenges with that like dynamic than you know back when i was in the hospital because of just that setting that you're in yeah, I can re- totally relate to that. Right? You're in the hospital, you're in the gown, you're hooked up to wires and tubes and and you're there going, yeah, I, there's something wrong. I'm, I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then you get back out into the world and and you still might be not feeling well, fatigued, just not yourself. But again, you look at you look at you and going, oh, but but you're fine. You look fine. And you use that mm-hmm. word normal. And before we hit record, I was like, oh, well, yeah. I think we both came to the conclusion. We don't know what normal means because my normal totally. is different than your normal, but, but you're feeling normal. And, and so here you are, you're back in the social settings and, and were you telling people that you had recovered from a stroke or you've now have some, some long-term effects of living with a stroke and, and how was that received? Oh, that, that's such a great question because I, I feel like a lot of people where something big has happened to you, like you get into this situation where you see someone that you haven't seen in a long time and you're like telling them the whole story. And then mm-hmm. you see another piece person 
that you haven't seen in a long time and you tell them the exact same story. And then like every time you go to a party, it's just like you're basically telling your story a million times, which can be very exhausting in a way. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because, because in a way, stroke is like a physical thing that affects you. I think people mm -hmm. are a bit more understanding around, you know, I say I had a stroke. Um, they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I think when it's something that the, you, you don't fully understand or like don't know much about, it's harder. I think the piece that was a little bit more challenging for people to understand is what my deficits actually are. And like, for example, when I was back at university, I was enrolled in something called the Center for Accessibility. This is uh, like a resource at UBC where um, I get support throughout my like academic journey. So for example, note takers or uh, kind of permission to record lectures, um, extra time on exams, because like, especially at the start, um, my hand still wasn't like at full functionality where like I would get really fatigued. Like I would write, start writing an exam and then uh, like, have you heard of like spasticity? It's basically no, like when you're like, muscles like start like cramping up because oh, of like yeah, the, yeah. yeah so i would have that but i would also get fatigued so like like reading and writing like that would take so much energy out of me that like i would need to take breaks throughout my exam and so the thing is like because i, I i've always been pretty smart and like good at like you know remembering things and, and whatnot like it's, it was hard for people to understand, like, oh, like, why are you enrolled? And, you know, like, you seem fine, you know, all, all these things. But I think there's a lot of things that, you know, wh when you have a conversation with someone for two minutes, you, you can't understand, you know, how long something takes them or, like, mm -hmm. what, what's going around in the, in the background of their life. Um, and so I, I think that was the most challenging for me was that people couldn't really step in my shoes and understand what I was actually going through day to day. But I, I do feel like I got a lot of support around, oh, like you had a stroke and like, but then I think the thing that, um, the thing that's funny about that is they acknowledge it. And then next time they see you, they already forget, you know, like a lot of people, because it looks so quote unquote normal, they kind of forget that I had a stroke. And so it's like, yeah. I sometimes have to remind people, especially yeah. when it comes into those areas of like my deficits. How did that affect you having to remind people or did it affect you? How did it play on your, your mental, um, your mental health? Yeah, I think, I think it was challenging because you don't want to feel like you need to remind people of something when it's like something mm -hmm. that you live with, like you live with it every day, you understand like what your needs are and, and whatnot. Um, and I think it like creates almost like unneeded conflict around something like, just to give an example, I was living in, when I came back to school, I was living with five other guys because uh, I was also in a fraternity and um, they were all like from the same fraternity 
And I, I was just taking one course at the time because I was slowly kind of reintegrating into school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very hard to kind of communicate around my challenges while living with, because when you're at that age too, everyone's maturing and like at different rates and like understand, you know, like still building empathy and trying to understand other people's experiences. And I think it was hard for me one because I had communication issues where like if we're having like a heated discussion I might lose my train of thought and like lose the point that I was trying to make so it was almost hard for me to vouch for myself because I would like I would need like a a bullet points to be able to like have a good argument with someone (laughs) because I would I would lose my train of thought Mm -hmm. and so I think that was challenging because on the one hand Um, when you're dealing with things, communication is so important. But if you have trouble with communication, it kind of creates this loop where it just problems are just going to keep arising because of that issue with communication. So it's like, you need to remind someone of like, hey, look, like, um, like, having a organized environment is just really helpful for me because I have trouble with information processing. And it gets really overwhelming when Things are just all over the place. Um, but again, when you have trouble communicating that, then it like it's uh, it leads to a lot of like tension. And I think that was challenging for me because when you think about communication and, and social support, they're just like such important pieces to your recovery journey. Mm-hmm. And if people don't understand what your needs are, they can't really help you as, as much and be on like the same page as you. So I think that part was was really challenging for me. I can imagine. You know, here you are trying to get integrated back into school. You're with your friends and your fraternity and having to constantly remind people that, yeah, I may look like, you know, I did before this happened, but but things have changed and and I'm in recovery and and I need support. Mm-hmm. But sometimes yeah, I can imagine young guy and a group of young guys it's like, oh, okay, we got you. And then the next day it's like, hey, well, what's going on, Nitai? Why, why <laughs> is this not happening? Um, yeah, that's a lot of grace that you have to give. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you had to give a lot of grace. I, I know a bit about you. You're not a, a guy, I don't think, a guy that just loses his mind and mm. just flips tables and starts yelling. And so... <laughs> You're, you're very calm and, and I think this is a good lead into mindset because I know mm. you've spent a lot of time in that, in that space of what's worked for you. Mm. And so how have you readjusted even just your, your outlook and mindset of, and your grace and your patience with people? Mm. That's a great question. And, and it's kind of funny that you, you started with how calm and, and whatnot I am because I think that's something that's been developed. Uh, I don't think I've ever been someone that um, just explodes on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's something that I gradually learned that I, I, I used to like internalize a lot of things. So if there was conflict, I, w- I would internalize it instead of like express it. Um, because I, I kind of skew to like avoiding conflict or at least before mm-hmm. I did. Um, and so it's interesting that you, you kind of start off with that because 
I think that's something that I've definitely developed over time through things like meditation and just, um, I think just maturing and growing as a person. I've learned to kind of be more empathetic around, okay, yeah, like obviously I'm going through challenges, but so are a lot of other people in life, like different than mine. Like there's always, there's levels. I would say there's levels to this, you know, there's levels to like, the types of struggle that people have. And then also everyone's going to experiencing, everyone's going to experience it differently too. Everyone has a different set of coping skills and resources and supports. And so I think over time, I just started to understand that like, hey, look, like obviously I'm having challenges, but like, let me put myself in someone else's shoes and see like what they're dealing with. And maybe like, those behaviors or those misunderstandings between me and them has a lot to do with their past or their traumas or their whatever it is, right? And so I think my ability to learn to be empathetic was super key to letting a lot of things go and to um, almost kind of taking more accountability for myself. Obviously, support is important, but I think when it comes to a recovery journey, you need to take ownership of your own story. I always say that like, um, my story isn't finished yet. It's still being written and it's being written by me. So like shit happens in life. It's not about what happens. It's about what happens next. And then you get to write that chapter. Um, and I, I think that starts with accountability. I also think um, one th common theme that really helped me uh, continue to move forward and progress on my journey was just this notion of gratitude. There's one, um, there's one moment, uh, especially from the rehab center, that really, really stuck with me. It was, I was, I wasn't just going through my own journey in the rehab center. I was, I was joining other people's journeys. There were people that had recovered from amputated limbs. There were people that were semi-paralyzed. There were people that couldn't feed themselves. There were people that like lost their ability to speak. There were people that um, were potentially hooked up to breathing tubes for the rest of their life. And all I could think about when I was in the rehab center is that that could have been me. If my brain hemorrhage was a little bit bigger, if it was a different area of my brain, that could have been me. I'm so lucky to be here. I'm so lucky that like I've recovered the way I have. Obviously, I have my deficits. Obviously, not everything is perfect all the time. Obviously, sometimes I'll have my ups and downs. But like, wow, how lucky I am to like have a chance. I always say like have a chance to live another day. Not necessarily like because everything is an opportunity, you know, and then you get to decide what you do with it. Um, and, and I think, I think it's important to, to, to just remind yourself of that, that like, I am so lucky to be here. And I think it's true. And I think that's, that's part of gratitude, right? It's being able to appreciate what you have. Um, and compared with like acknowledging what you don't have also, like, that's important. You can't just ignore like, Hey, I want these things, but I don't have them yet. 
you acknowledge all those hard things, all the negative things, all the things that like bring you down. But then you're like, wait, I have all of these amazing things. Like, why, why am I focusing on all that when I have all of, all of this? Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset was super important throughout. And it's varied, right? Like, there were times where the negative came in a lot more. And I had to learn to like understand it and like break it down and like where is that coming from? And like, you, you know, being able to, you know, sit with my emotions and be like, wait, what does that actually feel like? Oh, okay, this is a feeling in my body. Okay, this, is, this kind of sprouts from this thought and from this past experience in my life. But then, you know, moving along, you know, there were uh, pieces of, my journey that were way more focused in gratitude. Like, for example, I think about the pandemic, one of the best, like obviously one of the like worst uh, years in terms of like w- the world and like the damage that it caused. But for me, one of the best times to reflect and go deep into, okay, let me take some time to reflect about life. And I took this one course that like, that was so, so amazing. It's called The Science of Well-Being, uh, taught by this professor uh, from Yale called Lori Santos. And it's all about the science of like healthy habits and, and whatnot. And one of them was gratitude. And there's like a lot of evidence behind it about, you know, you write down, you know, five things that you're grateful for every day. And I was like, I, I'm always skeptical, which is good. I think when, when it comes to science and, and things like this, like being skeptical is important. And part of being skeptical was me like, let me run an experiment. Let me write down five things I'm grateful for, for like however long, like try to be as consistent as I can. I don't know if I did it every single day, but there was like, I documented around like 300 days of gratitude, okay? And the amazing thing about it was I I would write it down every day. Over time, I would start thinking about it before I was writing it down. And then over time, I didn't even have to write it down anymore. I was just thinking about it. And so it, the, that, that basically that habit that it taught me was like, have my default be gratitude. Every time that um, something pops up that's hard or difficult, it's like, wait, like that's difficult, but like I'm so lucky to like be here and... So like, yeah, that's difficult, but like, I'm still lucky to be here. So why, why, why should I focus on that? You know, there's so much that I can enjoy. Like there's the little things like that, like can really like bring that out of you too. Like stepping outside and like seeing a sunset. It's like, wow, I'm so grateful that I have eyesight that I can like appreciate the sunset. Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's just those little things, um, that like even if you have nothing like you still have nature you know even if you know you don't have people around you still have yourself and -hmm. i think that leads me to like the second piece that like this i would say was was my biggest learning of like throughout the pandemic was people come and go in our life right but like we can't really control who comes and goes and there's so many different attributes to like why someone comes and goes for your life sometimes it's you know 
priorities, right? Like I think about myself, you know, when I, when I was rehabbing for my stroke, my biggest priority was rehab. And so like, mm -hmm. if there were people that were inviting me to things, I couldn't always go because my priorities were different. Sometimes it's distance, you know, I'm, I'm living in Australia right now. And a lot of my friends are still in Canada, right? And so we don't keep in touch as often just because it's, it's hard and like there's a lot of things going on. You know, sometimes it's, uh, yeah, like proximity. Like if I live right beside someone, I'm just more likely to see them more because it's easier. So there's all these factors of like why people come and go from our life. And, but there's only like, there's really one relationship that doesn't come and go from our life. And I think that's the one that we have with ourselves, you know? And I think that's, that's what I learned throughout COVID is that like, it doesn't matter who's in my life. Like I gotta like, I gotta be like, obviously appreciate and like be grateful for the people that are in your life. But like, I gotta build my relationship with myself because that's the only one that I can control. And I can control that whenever I want. Like it's 24 seven, right? Like, late at night, you know, early in the morning, throughout the day, you have a couple moments. It's like, you can always talk to yourself, you know, like I, I like built this kind of framework for myself where it's like, I want to be the per I'm going to be the person that I need myself to be. And it's like reminding myself of that. And then, you know, reminding myself like, Hey, like I want to let go of ego and control and frustration, you know, anything that's holding me back. And I just want to keep focusing on all the things that are helping me, you know, being grateful, being kind, being empathetic. And I think that like combination, uh, like really, really helped me like mindset wise to just kind of keep moving forward in my journey. What a powerful share. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. There's so many thoughts going through my mind and you know, one that works for me is, is just taking a pause every morning and asking myself, how am I going to show up today? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I say to myself, I'm, I'm going to show up and be in a bad mood today. <laughs> and I look over at my wife and say, and I tell her, Hey, I'm off today. I'm not feeling myself. And so, uh, just a heads up. And that's not an excuse for me to be a jerk or yell at my kids just not feeling myself. And so I might just need to put on a podcast. And for me, I like to bake. So mm. guess what I did today? I baked <laughs> cookies uh, because I wasn't feeling myself. Mm. And we have to give ourselves that permission mm. to, and not the pressure to say, hey, I need to be, I need to be 100% every single day. Because mm. that's not, it's, it's not possible. But if we allow ourselves to be, a hundred percent miserable every day. It seems like that is a little bit easier to fall into <laughs> that trap of, of, uh, yeah, it's, it's about me and I'm angry and I'm mad, but I love that simplicity of stepping outside in the evening and watching the sun go down mm. or waking up early in the morning and watching the sun come up mm. or, laying outside and just watching the birds fly and go, how is that even possible? <laughs> just the, some of the things that, that just shift our mind and, and just ask ourselves, how am I going to show up today? Hmm. Because I know, you know, I can't imagine like living with a stroke. And as you said, the deficits that have now come with that, 
where I look at you and you're like, wow, you're a healthy young guy, but that's on the outside. And that's such the importance. Uh, this, this, this is why it's such an important conversation about the invisible things mm-hmm. that you cannot see. And that brings me just to a question around, you know, the, our purpose at invisible condition is not to reduce, but remove the stigma. Mm. And, you know, you, you talk about in the school system where you had the support, which is awesome. But then people around you are going, well, why is he, he's getting support. He looks, mm. I'm doing air quotes, quote unquote, normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still that stigma that surrounds it. So how can we remove the stigma? What do we need to do? What, what do we need to change in the world? Where do we need to start? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I don't know if I have the best answer for it. But I think for me, when I think about stigma, I, I go back to, well, why is there a stigma in the first place? And usually there's some sort of past history and a lack of understanding. And I think the way to kind of move forward with stigma, I think, is education and sharing your story. Like it starts with as soon as one person shares their story, maybe someone that has a similar experience, it's like, oh, well, I guess it's okay to share my story then. And then another person is like, oh, well, that person does it. So then maybe I'll do it too. And then it becomes more of a conversation in society. And then people are get curious. They're like, oh, what is this? What is this condition? And then there's like more education around it. And then it starts to become a conversation. And I think stigma is like, when you're moving away and, and being scared to talk about a conversation because it's hard or uncomfortable. And so I think it's kind of a combination of, of vulnerability and, and being able to share your story, but also, you know, having a curiosity to learn and not judge and, and kind of go into like the education piece around whatever condition it is or the experience even like you can understand a condition, but not, not res- not really like understand the experience behind it, the story behind it. So I think it's kind of a combination of those two things. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. You know, you said, I don't know if I have the right answer. It's like, <laughs> well, we got, we got to start somewhere. Uh, and I love that. And I love the idea of, you know, we need to share, we need to educate, we need to get curious. Uh, uh, yeah. So many stories are popping in my mind just around that because you know, you're, you're in the workforce. Mm-hmm. If you don't share with people that, hey, you know, I, I now have these de- deficits that I'm living with, it doesn't affect my performance, but here's how I show up or here's some accommodation I need. If we don't share these things, what's going to happen? And mm-hmm. it might not have, you might not lose your job or you might not get pulled into your boss's office and, and, uh, and have a talking to, but... Mm-hmm. But often we're afraid because we don't know what's going to happen or what people might think. I had somebody mm-hmm. reach out to me recently who said they don't want to share because they're afraid they might lose their job, mm. which broke my heart because this is something that they live with and yeah. they yeah. didn't choose to live with it. They're just living with it. So mm-hmm. they can't bring that part of themselves into the workplace. And so... You know, it's not something I would say, maybe you do. Maybe it's like, hi, my name is so-and-so and this is what I live with. Please yeah. hire me. Maybe it's not that simple and I get that and that's just an oversimplification. I have that fear. I have that fear of 
of saying, hey, I live with Crohn's disease and sometimes I need to run to the washroom without any notice. Mm -hmm. Hi, would you want to hire me, please? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. no, I'm going to hide that part of me until I get the job. You know what I'm saying, right? It's how do we, how do we, you know, it's sometimes it's really hard to overcome that. Yeah. And I think it's a very legitimate fear. I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge that it's not something that people understand. And I think there's also a fear from people in the workplace of, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't hire that person because it's almost seen as a liability, which, you know, I I don't see it as a liability, but I think it is seen as a liability sometimes, which is part of the problem, I think. I think the I think what's important is to have like a space to be able to have those conversations because at least from my experience of like starting, starting to work is when you have so many things to do, sometimes you don't have the time to slow down and be like, Hey, look, like this is what I'm dealing with. This is what you Mm -hmm. need to know. Like sometimes that's hard. And when it, when, you know, interviews like that, that's a competitive space, right? Like you're competing with other people if there's one kind of blemish or whatever you want to call it, then that's something that could be a deciding factor. Like you don't know. But what I've liked about at least like my experience so far is that I had a, you know, I, I work closely with, um, with like my boss and we actually had a conversation about communication. And I was like, hey, look, like this is, this is what helps me because this is just how I understand things. This is how I process information. And, you know, I, I need to work in these times because this is just what helps me. And I think having that space to slow down and be like, hey, look, like, this is what I can bring to the table. But this is also what helps me bring more to the table, you know? Um, yeah, I think reframing. That's super important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, man, we just forget to hurry up and slow down, right? Mm-hmm. We're we get caught up in, in things and, and forget to tell people that, Hey, this is what I need to succeed. You know, you're telling me what you need from me to succeed. And now I need to say, well, yes, this works and this, maybe we can change it a little bit. And I love that you're brave and strong. And I think people who are listening to this, uh, I really hope it just sparks something in people to go, Mm -hmm. okay, I need to try this. You know, a silly little story where, I started with a new client recently and they came to me and said, Hey, I know you live with Crohn's. So here's a key to the washroom down the hall that nobody else has. And, uh, because I know you might need to run to the washroom more frequent than others. So here's, here's a key. Welcome (laughs) aboard. Like, you know, it's just those little things, but if you don't share, Mm. you don't, it's not going to happen. So it's scary. And I, we cannot say that there's not going to be dis- discrimination mm-hmm. or lack of accommodation. There's going to be, but we will remove that stigma mm. um, by educating and by telling stories and, and by, you know, sharing uh, and educating, not just ourselves and our listeners, but our workplaces in how we can show up the best. Uh, I, because I love what you said, Nitai is, Hey, this is what I need to show up even better. Mm-hmm. than what I'm currently am. That's powerful. So as we wrap up, I ask this question to everyone. What hope and encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners? Mm. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think I think what's important to to think about is you you need to like obviously like I've I've gone through this crazy experience and I've come out the other side um, in in a lot of ways stronger. Um, and I've learned so much from my experience. Um, but but I, th- I think what, what's, what's really important is, one, to know that it is possible to kind of take your experience and turn it into something um, where, I don't know, quote unquote, you can be successful or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think, too, like, just understanding what it takes to get to that space. It's not about doing it all on your own. It's about reaching out for help. And I've reached out for help so many different times from so many different spaces, whether it's with work and, you know, being like, hey, these are the things that I need. Or with school, you know, getting the accommodations that I need. Or just with friends, you know, asking for for help or family or whatever it is. Like, it's really, it, I love the quote. It's like, um, if you want to go fast, you go by yourself. But if you want to go far, you go together with other people. And I think that's that piece of, like, knowing to ask for help. And, like, it takes a village to, you know, get to where you want to be. Um, and I think it's, like, about being brave enough and vulnerable enough to ask for that help. Um and I think the third thing that I would say is it's it's really hard to um it's really hard to go where you want to go if you don't believe you can go there um so I think what's really important is to remind yourself like, "Hey, look, I can only go as far as I think that I can go and i I think what's important is talk to people that have already been where where you want to go and and try to learn from them and uh hopefully that will get you get you to where you want to be um i know that was a lot of different points i think you only asked for one but hopefully that was okay of course it was yeah i could i could sit here and just listen uh for more t- and more uh from you you've put a lot of thought into this and i know you speak in other forums about being a stroke survivor and mm-hmm. the mental journey and that you've been on and you're currently on and your mindset. And one thing that I am, I'm really grateful for Nitai is, is you and your <laughs> vulnerability and your, just your excitement to share and mm-hmm. educate. Uh, this is what's going to change our narrative in our society around invisible conditions. I'm going to advocate that we remove the word normal from our vocabulary (laughs) uh, because there's no such thing because your normal is different than my normal, Mm -hmm. which is different than everybody who's listening to this, this episode, Mm. you know, embrace your normal and live it and wake up in the morning and ask yourself, how am I going to show up today? Mm. So with that, Nitai, thank you so much for coming on. You're going to come on uh, again. We're going to talk about uh, mindsets and gratitude, and because I'm 
interested in that journey of, of 300 days mm. writing what you're grateful for. Just those little tips. And I think we'll just do a, a, a couple episodes, just really quick episodes of what's worked for you. And, and for those who are listening, it's just a reminder that what we talk about is worked for, for us. Mm. And it might not work for you. But if you're curious to learn more, there's an opportunity to reach out. Reach out to me through the website, invisiblecondition.com. If you're curious about how to share your story, what to share, where to start, or you're looking for some coaching in this space, reach out and, and I'm here to help. And Nitai, if people want to hear more about you, your story, and learn more about you, where can they find you? Where can they reach you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't thought about this at all. Um, I would say that you can probably reach out on my Instagram, although I'm not always super active there. Uh, but just my name, Nitai, uh, Nitai Weinberg, N-I-T-A-I-W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, that's probably Perfect. the best bet. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't like giving away too many different, cause then a lot of messages come in and it's a little bit overwhelming, but I think, I think that's probably a good space to, to reach out to me. Perfect. And we'll have that in the show notes. But again, if you want to hear more from Nitai, drop me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Tim Reitzma. And uh, I'm happy to pass on your contact information uh, to Nitai and, uh, and we'll go from there. So with that, Nitai, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Excited to see where this goes. Yeah. And for those who are listening, I really hope you, you liked this episode. And if you did, please share it out with your friends, your family, uh, anybody that might have some interest in removing the stigma around invisible condition. And as always, please subscribe to our newsletter and check us out on all social platforms. We appreciate it. So with that, hope you have an amazing day, everyone. Mm-hmm.